0: Join the Authors' Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about.
1: I'm Robin Colucci, and welcome to the Authors' Corner. You know, authoring a book can be a lonely process, so it's important to find communities where you can connect with others on the journey. Today, I will be speaking with a great innovator in this area, Stephanie Chandler is CEO of Association.com, a vibrant educational community for experienced as well as aspiring writers and authors, and the NonfictionWritersConference.com, with its events conducted entirely online since its founding in 2010. She is the author of several books, including the Nonfiction Book Publishing Plan and the Nonfiction Book Marketing Plan. A frequent speaker at business events and on the radio, she has been featured in Entrepreneur, Business Week and Wired Magazine. One thing I've really noticed about Stephanie is she has a way of seeing a need and filling it. And in today's interview, she will share with us about a myriad of ways she's involved in supporting writers and authors, from creating communities to founding a much needed writers conference for writers of nonfiction, her upcoming launch of a book marketing certification program, which also, again, much needed like to create some industry standards around what kinds of skills do you actually need to have to help someone market a book effectively. And the bottom line is I'm confident that by the time you're done listening to this interview, you will have discovered some resource or some key nugget of wisdom that you will be able to apply and use in your journey to author success. So sit back and enjoy. So Stephanie, welcome to the Author's Corner. Thanks, Robin. So fun to be with you today. It's so fun to have you. You recently interviewed me for your podcast and uh, we had so much to talk about. That was good. (laughs) And that I wanted to have you here and there's a lot that I think a lot of value you're going to be able to bring to our listeners. But before we get into the really nitty gritties, would you just share with our listeners a little bit about your background and how you got into publishing in the first place, just for a little bit of context?
2: Oh my gosh. yes! Yeah. So I am a Silicon Valley refugee. I was a software trainer. And I ended up in software sales with a $4 million quota and an ulcer before my 30th birthday. And so I left. I left in 2003 and I opened a 2,800 square foot brick and mortar bookstore up here in Sacramento. And I thought I was going to sit in the back office and write novels. And turns out I hated running a retail business. And I was a terrible novelist, but but I always wanted to write my entire life as a child. I always wanted to write, and you think you're supposed to write novels, right? But it turns (laughs) out nonfiction was a window. It hadn't even occurred to me. And my Silicon Valley friends were caravanning up to Sacramento saying, we want to quit our jobs too. How did you do it? (laughs) And they inspired my first book. It was a business startup guide. And I self-published. I started building a platform online. And then I sold... Got an agent, sold 3 books and thought, what am I doing owning this stupid bookstore? So I sold the store (laughs) (laughs) and started my own publishing business. And then I was speaking at writers' conferences. And I felt so left out as a nonfiction writer. Um, I mean, there were many times I was at conferences where I was the only business book writer in a group of 300 people. And I thought, something has to change. And so in 2010, I launched a nonfiction writers conference online. Had no idea if anyone would attend, but they did. And been doing it ever since. And then three years later, the Nonfiction Authors Association was born because the conference attendees were like, how do we keep in touch when this is over? So I've just kind of followed the path as it has been laid out before me.
1: Well, as it's unfolded, really. And I want to backtrack a little bit because I've been to several writers' conferences as well, and they really are so dominantly focused on fiction. And if not fiction, it's going to be essays and memoir. But there's, there's really is very little for nonfiction, for, for aspiring nonfiction authors at writers' conferences in
2: general. That's the truth. And it's so disappointing. And I can't even tell you. I mean, I've spoken at dozens of conferences and writers' events. And it's really surprising. I mean, even the fact that I could acquire nonfictionwritersconference.com and nonfictionauthorsassociation.com for $15. Like, they (laughs) were (laughs) high-demand domains. It was really wild. I still don't understand it. I'm grateful. We have very little competition. So I'm grateful. And there's a need. Our community grow very, very quickly.
1: So I have to refer to you as a woman ahead of your time or some kind of ability to see into the future because you have done this conference online all along. That's and right. I would imagine that in 2020 with COVID and so many conferences shutting down, you were business as usual. Tell me a little bit about that. Like when you started online, what was some of the initial feedback you got? Or you know, did you have doubts when you started online? Or you know, what were the naysayers saying to you? Don't we have doubts when we start anything new? Of course I did. I really
2: didn't know if anybody would come to this thing. I had 18 speakers over three days delivered live. I mean, it was very <laughs> ambitious Unbelievably, everyone showed up when they were exposed to. Um, Dan Pointer was our very first opening keynote speaker, and I love that we have that legacy because he was such a gift in the publishing community. So I didn't know if people. Okay,
1: stop up. right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As you know, I am a huge Dan Pointer fan, and for those of you who don't know who Dan Pointer is or was, unfortunately, he passed not terribly long ago. Honestly, yeah, a couple years. He was up there when I met him, you know, 20 something years ago, 25 years ago. But he really was the grandfather of self publishing. I mean, Dan Pointer, I think, was really the first person I ever heard speak about self publishing that gave it any kind of legitimacy in my mind whatsoever, that this could actually be a viable path for someone to pursue and that it was a huge opportunity. And when you think of how, Prescient that was, you know, at the time that he was speaking about this, and we're talking early, early 2000s. Nobody was really self publishing. Amazon didn't have their whole create space, not even close. I don't even think there was Amazon. (laughs) So I've got to ask you how did you get Dan Pointer to keynote for your first online conference? he was a big deal by 2010. I mean, he, he was didn't... a big deal, but we had also been elbow to
2: elbow at a number of writers conferences for many years oh, and had become friendly. When 2004, I got married and I went on my honeymoon and I read his self-publishing manual uh, yes. and it was like the highlight of my Bible. honeymoon. <laughs> yeah, it was the Bible. And I came home with this book highlighted and sticky notes and and I remember showing it to him because we knew each other by then, but showing to him and saying, Dan, like you're amazing. Right? <laughs> and so I kind of took off on the path of speaking about marketing. And he would come and sit in my talks, and I would sit in his. And we just developed this amazing friendship. I went to his, he hosted the ebook awards, which still exists. I went to one of his events. My book received an award. He had me sit at the head table next to Mary Lou Henner, his special guest. I mean, he was such a gift, a gracious human being. And he honestly really encouraged me with the whole conference because I said to him once, you know, I think maybe we should switch and do an in-person. And he goes, don't you dare do that. Doing it online is what makes it so special. And he's 100% right. And of course, last year when the pandemic hit, and I'm watching all these conferences try to figure out what to do, I was sitting back going, well, we had our best conference ever And we have attracted a lot of amazing speakers because we've been doing this for, this is our 11th year.
1: Share with us some of the other, you know, because you really do have uh, some real who's who type people who have spoken at your conference. I'm I'm amazed. of Of course, I'm sure that you love them all, but maybe some of the more notable favorites that our listeners might, may have heard of.
2: Well, Seth Godin was one of my favorites for sure just this past year, we had Martha Beck. I thought she was incredible. We had Don Miguel Ruiz who wrote The Four Agreements. We've had Gretchen Rubin was incredible. Cheryl Richardson. Sherry Salata, who was Oprah's executive producer for years, she was so inspiring. And I mean, we've had Guy Kawasaki. We just had some incredible people. Dan Millman, who wrote Way of the Peaceful Warrior. I have a lot of favorites on that list and, <laughs> and Julia Cameron. Oh my gosh. The artist oh my gosh. Cameron. Right. And, I,
1: I think you yeah. named a few of my Bibles, like right? the way the four agreements. I mean, the way of the piece four, you're, you're kind of uh, calling out my bookshelves here. Well, and that's how I pick my speakers based on my, <laughs> bookshelves,
2: right. It's not <laughs> random. It's very specific. And I'm very careful in how I approach them. And I have some tricks up my sleeve, Robin. Like I will email them on a Saturday morning. I
0: was going to ask you, that was the next
2: question.
1: How do you get through to these people to be able to invite them to speak at your conference?
2: Yeah. Email on a Saturday morning is weird, but it works because we're not getting a ton of email on Saturday morning. And then I always know their work. So I'm able to honestly say, look, this book has made an impact. I know it will impact our audience. I'm all about doing good things in the world through books. And I think a lot of our speakers resonate with that. And then we've been able to do some promotions like Martha Beck just had a book release during our conference. So we were able to give away a hundred copies of her book to the first hundred who registered. So we've oh, done some wow. things like that, but the speakers are amazing. And when they hear they're connecting with fellow nonfiction writers, it's like, oh, wow, that exists, <laughs> right? They get excited.
0: So it's
1: been remarkable, the response we get. That's wonderful. And I just want to throw in there because what you mentioned about when you reach out to these big time authors and you tell them how their work has had an impact on you personally, I give the same advice to my clients when they're seeking endorsements for their book from some of these people. I'm like, "If, if you can sincerely write something about how their work has made a difference in your life, it drastically increases your chances of getting that endorsement. And I've had self-published clients get some pretty big name endorsements by doing that. So that's just a good little tip. It is a great tip. And the other thing is, what's
2: the worst thing that can happen? (laughs) Right? So I'm a huge believer in ask, just ask, Mm -hmm. right? And then keep asking. I'll go back and re-ask people,
1: So just persistence, kindness pays off. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So how many years into doing your conference or how long was it into doing your conference before it occurred to you to create the association? Association?
2: So we started the conference in 2010 and immediately attendees were saying, how do we keep in touch? How do we keep in touch? And it just started spinning my wheels and I think it was in 2012 after the conference when I said, I've got to do something. And it took me a year to put it together. I, I don't do anything without really being thoughtful about it and building a plan. And, and creating an association is not a small undertaking. I wanted to be very thoughtful about it. And so we launched in May of 2013, along with our conference that year, our third conference. And it was amazing the, how well received it was.
1: Yeah, that's exciting too. And then what are some of the benefits for you of having created this organization? Oh, that's an interesting question.
2: I have to say, I am so inspired by the people in our community because I really am mission driven. I really do believe books make a difference in the world and to see some of the types of projects that our members are, you know, things with mental health and Black Lives Matter and just telling their very triumphant stories. So there's so much in that that inspires me. One of our members was on Captain Sully's plane that went down in the Hudson. I mean, it's just, one lost her husband (laughs) in 9-11. Like there's just so many incredibly inspiring stories. And I'm a big believer in the human spirit and resilience. And I love to see people thriving in their
1: lives so how do your people stay connected? Like, is it also primarily online or do you have ways for people to connect on a regular basis as members, or is it more just like a central hub resource or tell us more about how the structure
2: is? Yeah. Primarily we have a private members only Facebook group that's really active and it's Uh so fun to watch people say, help me with my book covers or how have you handled this? And you get responses from the members, as well as those of us who have lots of experience. And some of our members formed a mastermind of their own. They do a monthly meeting. So we're seeing all kinds of really cool things happen from the members themselves connecting. I love that group. I'm on there every day in our Facebook group. It's so fun.
1: That's a real community, right? When people are really interacting with one another, and it's not just you, the mouthpiece talking at them, but they're really engaged. So,
2: so much so. And that's my favorite part. I mean, I want to engage with people. The conferences, our sessions are always live. So we do tons of Q&A. All our courses are live. We do Q&A. But the only thing that we pre-record is our podcast. So everything is done live, which is risky. And yeah. things go wrong and the power goes out or the speaker can't dial in and things happen. But the other thing I've learned is people are forgiving. Like they understand life happens and we make up for it later. So this group inspires me on so many levels.
1: So, around how many attendees do you get? to your conferences? So between four and 500 typically, oh. which is a lot. It's yes. a lot to manage.
2: <laughs> so we have someone dedicated to 500 customer 500 attendees. And how many speakers are you up to now? Because I guess... Yeah, we do... Our May event is three days and we do five speakers a day. So it's 15 oh. a day. And then in November, we do a shorter event. We do four speakers a day for two days. Uh-huh. And yeah, it's a lot. It's so fun uh-huh. though.
1: Yeah. I bet. And now I also happen to know that you have another project that you're yeah. about to launch. So let's hear a little bit about this one because this could be an interesting opportunity for some of our listeners as well.
2: I'm ridiculously excited. So it's our book marketing master course with optional professional certification. And what that means is it came purely from selfish motives, Robin, because I am constantly asked, can you recommend a marketing company? Can you recommend a marketing consultant? And I have a very small list of people I trust to draw from. And I got to thinking about... I knew I was going to do a new marketing course. been working on it for a year. It's got a companion 275-page workbook. And it's a massive 6-week course. And I thought, what if I were training the marketing consultants that I could then recommend? And there's no professional certification in the publishing industry for book marketing, nor is there one for self-publishing consulting. So we have that coming next year. But we decided to go all in and we launched this. And the professional certification is optional. It's available to virtual assistants are really responding to it. And that's amazing. I think every author needs a virtual assistant, don't you? I mean, it's just a game changer.
1: Yes, Totally. So I'm curious because this has been a challenge. As a matter of fact, I was just speaking with one of my clients the other day. He was lamenting that we don't offer book marketing. (laughs) right? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, this is our wheelhouse. This is where we excel. But from your point of view, I would love to hear what are some of the ways you could look at a book marketer and their performance or... Like, how do you know you have a good bookmark? Yeah, that's a good question. So by the way, I
2: was a publisher for a number of years, never sold marketing services either. And that was intentional because you cannot guarantee. And not if you're doing things above the level, right? You can't <laughs> guarantee results. And I would never want to sell something that I couldn't guarantee results. What you can do is help somebody craft a plan and you can help them implement that plan, but you still can't guarantee Marketing is fickle, and so how do you know you have a good book marketer? You have somebody who understands that, right? <laughs> that they're not going to overpromise. They're not going to do it. And I really, really am not a fan of some of the kind of there's companies out there charging thousands of dollars to get you to the top of your Amazon category. You don't need to hire someone to do that, and by the way, it has no long-term value. <laughs> Focus on getting in the top 10 of your category. For the next year, every right. day, <laughs> not for one day, so that you can call yourself a of best one hour, one hour. Of one hour. That stuff right. just really drives me crazy. So, I would much rather see authors build their platform and build their email list and use content marketing and strategies that actually build an audience for the long term. And if you're interviewing marketing firms and assistants and consultants. That's the strategies they should be telling you to do. I'm sure you've had this question too. I hear this all the time. Can I just outsource all my marketing? <laughs> well, you yeah, could, but you won't make any money because our profit margins are so low on books. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to invest in marketing, you have to have some other goals like you're promoting yeah. your business or speaking. Exactly. Out, That's like what that.
1: I always tell people. I say don't think of it like I'm doing this to sell books. You want to think of this as I'm doing this to raise the visibility of my brand overall. I'm doing this to make new connections, to be more places, to know more people, because everything that you earn back is on the back end of the book sale. So it's what that reader is going to do with you once they have your book or once they've heard of your book, right? They might not even necessarily get your book, but maybe they go to your website and, like, oh my gosh, this is the perfect coach for me. Or I need to have this person come speak at my next event or whatever it is. I mean, what I've observed with trying to outsource your book marketing, too, I think is a huge problem is that no one is really better qualified to market your book, to talk about your book than you are.
0: Yeah,
2: agreed. And you just can't automate everything. I will say the one thing I'm really advocating right now for nonfiction authors are Amazon ads. These ads, we're seeing really good performance. I have a client, Mark Paul, wrote a memoir called The Greatest Gambling Story Ever Told. It's about back in the 80s. He placed a bet on a Philly to win the Kentucky Derby. It was a long shot bet. And she ended up winning and he had to go collect his million-dollar prize from the Mexican drug cartel. Oh, shit. I mean, right? It, it, it is an incredible story. It reads oh, like a novel. And it's true. So he, Mark is a real estate investor in Beverly Hills. He has no platform. I don't even think he had a Twitter account when the book came out last year. He went all in on Amazon ads. He taught himself how to do it. He got his 10 categories. So guess how many copies he sold last year? 30 thousand copies of a memoir
1: with no platform. That is extraordinary. It is is.
2: extraordinary. And it led to some other opportunities. He's got like licensing deals with some gambling companies and it's a unique story. And that's obviously not the typical results, but the point is that's possible to get good results with those Amazon ads. And I think that's just kind of a no brainer
1: a great tip i never even heard see how yeah. out of touch with book marketing i am i never even heard of amazon ads
2: yeah you have to have a book published through kdp and your kindle edition is just fine so that's what i recommend is get your yeah. kindle edition through kdp yeah and you yeah. can publish the print elsewhere
1: mhm brilliant yeah yeah and that's a good roi for him i bet too see yeah, now, absolutely when, when you're talking tens of thousands of book sales, then it can start to add up to something, a more interesting number. Um, Well, and
2: again, he's a real estate investor. I don't think the numbers really matter that much to him, but he sold the film rights to the book before this happened, I'll say, but that certainly doesn't hurt that he can show these sales results when the producers are shopping the project.
1: And you know, really across the board, just from a very armchair point of view, but I'm kind of a geek when it comes to looking at these sort of trends and things, and like what are the patterns, like how many syllables are in the most best selling titles and you know crazy stuff like that. But one thing that I did also look at is really I think a perfect ratio as far as income goes from your book like book sales versus everything else, Mm. book sales should not be any more than 10% Mm. of the gross additional revenue you're getting from having made that transition to being an author. And really what I found is it's just a matter of scale. So you can think of this gentleman who wrote this book, you can think of somebody who maybe didn't even sell a thousand books, but what else are they doing with that opportunity, or you can go all the way up to Harry Potter, which pre-sold like 12 million copies of the seventh book. But I bet you, if you add up all she made on movie rights and licensing and everything else, I still bet you that her book sales are not more than 10% of the revenue that she received from that brand that she has received.
2: That's an excellent point. Absolutely and we talk about this a lot because I am a a believer in building revenue streams around your books, but our memoir authors don't like that, right? And then we've got... (laughs) And it's understandable because they really just want to sell the book. And then I'm thinking like we have got writers who do history or science or whatever, and it's trickier. However, you can still get paid to speak, right? You can still create consulting or coaching revenue based on a theme from your book. Maybe I saw a gal online who's a cancer coach because she wrote her memoir about going through breast cancer and then became a coach for others in her shoes. So I always encourage people, you're not alone if you're trying sitting there going, well, how do I make money around this book? That's how you make money. You figure out what are the opportunities around it. And there's tons of them. Tons
1: of them. Or you offer a course. You could offer an online course or an in-person course that you can derive even from a memoir if you want So how much do you think your tech background helped you with all this online stuff?
2: (laughs) I love that. No one's ever asked me that before. It helped me more than I realized. First of all, I have no fear of tech. Like Mm -hmm. I just dive in. And as early years, I wanted to know how everything worked. I'm kind of over that now. I don't have the time to know how everything works anymore. (laughs) my favorite job I had when I was in the Silicon Valley was a technical instructor and I would develop courses and I would teach courses. I learned HTML so I could teach these web courses and what a cool skill. And to be able to do that now when I'm developing my own courses is Mm -hmm. amazing. So I feel like, again, those steps just kind of laid out before me and I didn't even know how valuable that was going to be. And by the way, I set out to be an English teacher. I thought I was going to teach English classes And while I was in school, I had to work. And so I worked a software company. I was a receptionist for their dispatch center. And down the hall, they had tech support. And I walked down there one day and I looked at the manager. I'm like, how do I get hired in here? Right? I'm 19 years old. And she looks at me and she goes, do you have any computer experience? I said, no, but I'm taking college classes right now. She said, go take a computer class and come talk to me. I said, okay. And so the next (laughs) trimester, I took a computer class... I got my A. I went back to her. I said, I took the class. Will you talk to me now? And she said, okay. And they hired me. They couldn't believe that I had the nerve to do that. (laughs) Right? And I always say, I've never been qualified for any job I've ever had, including this one. Like I have to (laughs) figure things out as I go. I guess I don't have the fear, Gene. I'm not afraid to do these things.
1: Well, so that's interesting because you didn't start off with a background in tech. It's not like you were a tech junkie as a kid or something like that. So you never had a fear of tech? Because the thought – I can't even imagine if anyone had told me to take a technology class while I was in college, you would have found me like – under the desk. Really? <laughs> yeah, like with a stomach ache. But <laughs> like, it's just funny how we're all, I would feel that way. About and I'm not a, a chicken. I mean, I've, I've done some yeah. pretty scary stuff, but yeah, it was hard for me. So, what would you tell someone? Because I think that I get this objection a lot, right? Like, if I say to somebody, you should build an online course or market an online course, and it's like, ah, you know, that's like, it's already hard enough. They just, are in the process of, or just finished writing a book, which is also something they've never done. Right. So what would you say to somebody or what do you say to people when this kind of thing... With well, kind of for
2: thing. people who are truly fearful or don't want to do it themselves, that's where virtual assistants come in. I'm such that's a fan awesome. of virtual assistants. That's, that's we fun. maintain a list on our website of assistants who work with authors. Lots of them have experience setting up these courses or mm-hmm. doing your social media... And by the way, I'm a huge believer in outsource the stuff that you're not good at. When I first opened that bookstore all those years ago, I went and I took a QuickBooks class because I thought, well, I got to keep my books, right? I got an SC in college accounting. I have not numbers. I would rather write an essay than balance my checkbook. So I take a QuickBooks class. I am struggling through doing my QuickBooks. And about a month into it, I said, why am I doing this? I've had the same bookkeeper ever since, and that was two thousand three. Yeah, so, <laughs> you know, if you really have an aversion to it, hire it out. Uh huh. This is the best hundred bucks
1: a month I spent for years. So, no question. Yes, I can't even imagine doing my books now.
0: <laughs>
2: no. no, I know I got that. audited. And uh boy, that's scary, right? And I show up and Judy meets me there and she's got this stack of binders. I'm like, what are those? And we sit down and the lady's like, show us this Costco transaction from June 6th of 2009. And Judy was like, zip, 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 and her binder, here it is. And she just had a copy of every single document. Now, had I gone in there by myself, I mean, I would have just had to say, I surrender. I mean, I'd have no idea where anything is <laughs> <laughs>
1: Hire it out. If it's not your strength, hire it out. Absolutely. And I love that you have resources on your website. Which website would our listeners go to, to find some of these resources?
2: The main one is nonfictionauthorsassociation.com and recommended resources is our most popular area of the site by far.
1: Right, because and we've
2: got everybody there. Yeah.
1: There are virtual assistants and there are virtual assistants. And yeah it really does make a difference to have someone who's if you for example if you're going to launch an online course to have someone who knows how to build a campaign in your contact management software who knows how to set up your marketing emails who knows how to automate what can be automated how to fix something that's broken uh, <laughs> so
2: know? true and a good website manager because i've been a there manager mm-hmm. oh, gosh it's completely game-changing when you find those people. And I'm glad you just said the word people because this is a big misconception. It's often more than one person. Oh, yeah. I just answered an email last night from one of our community members saying, I can't find someone who can do my Wix website and my social media and help me launch my course. And I'm like, well, those are really three different functions <laughs> just listed. And you can't expect one person to do all of them.
1: Not all well, that's for sure. That's right. Yeah, I mean my web designer, that's all he does. And yeah,
2: mine too. Genius.
1: So yeah. It's, yeah, it's fantastic. All right. So what is the question I should have asked you?
2: Oh goodness. I what should you have asked me? People are constantly asking me for my best marketing tips, so why don't I throw out a few of those? Great. So I mentioned Amazon ads. I just think you should be there. I love podcast tours. I don't know why authors aren't doing more of these. What you and I are doing right now, super fun. Don't have to leave my house. And we can do these all day long. I think it's a really brilliant strategy for a book launch. And I don't see enough authors using beta readers. Do your clients do much with beta readers?
1: Well, our clients... I mean... Probably a different deal. Yeah. We have a lot of checks and balances internally. And most of our clients are traditionally published, but tell me more about beta readers. So beta readers aren't just for editorial feedback. I personally don't want editorial
2: feedback. I don't like having too many cooks in the kitchen. I'm the same way. That's that's, the internal. Oh, I see. Okay. So continue. So that is one way. And that's kind of the misconception is beta readers are all about editing. That's not the case. I like beta readers for launch support.
1: Mm-hmm. So,
2: when you give early access to your manuscript, say a month before the book comes out. For sure. sure. Mm-hmm. And so, when I did my last launch, I put out a call and my goal was to get 100 beta readers. And we had 300 people apply and I accepted all of them and gave them all access to the manuscript and created a private Facebook group and kept them informed. Like, here's our launch date and the, the review copy just showed up. And we just went through the whole process together. and. On launch day, they were amazing. They were tweeting. They were on Facebook. They were on Instagram. And I asked them to write reviews. I could not believe how many verified purchase reviews showed up because they didn't have to buy the book. Right? But many of them did. And I have to say, it was one of the most personally rewarding experiences because I loved the dialogue with the readers they were gracious. It was such a great experience. Mm-hmm. So I just am such yes. a fan of using beta readers for your launch plan.
1: Yeah. yeah. We used to call that galley readers. Yeah. And that's changed. mean it depends. To show you how long I've been in this thing. Yeah.
2: Right. But- because that is a traditionally published. Yeah. Term.
1: But I want to hear, how did you choose those 300?
2: I put out an email and if they're on my list, I figure they're for real, but I did do an application process and ask questions like, how would you help support the book launch? And and they would say things like, oh, I would put it to my 1500 Twitter followers or whatever. I was just more interested in knowing they were real people. I wasn't really focused on their numbers. Sure. There was only yeah. out of 301 applications, I deleted one because yeah. it didn't look legit. And that's why you have an application process. Yeah.
1: Well, I think it's also great because by answering those questions, it's really, they're making a commitment to you. So they're not just saying, yeah, send me your book. And I think it really increases the odds that they'll actually read the book.
2: That's so true. Yeah. And let's be clear. I didn't get 300 reviews out of that. I think I probably got 30, probably 10% led to reviews, but a lot of them talked about it and wrote about it on their blogs and put it on social media. And that was super fun. So it was good. It was a great experience.
1: Love that. What a, these are wonderful ideas. Thank you so much for answering the question I didn't ask. <laughs> Glad you asked me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Stephanie, this has been such a joy to have you. And thank you again for being here with us today. And where should our listeners go if they want to become certified book marketers? Yeah.
2: So it's on the website at nonfictionwritersconference.com. We have a shortened link, but I don't trust it. So go to (laughs) nonfictionwriters, excuse me, nonfictionauthorsassociation.com is where the course is. And then nonfictionwritersconference.com is our conference. Our next one's in November. And I just love hearing from readers and writers. So feel free to reach out as well.
1: Wonderful. Well, we'll have those links in the blog post that goes with this episode. So keep an eye out for it there. And thank you again, Stephanie, for being with us
2: today. Thank you, Rob. It's so delightful to talk with you. Thank you.